So, Rachel. Yeah. When the Enterprise travels to a planet where a Starfleet ship disappeared years ago, they find a tyrannical computer that rules its oppressed people. Oh, gosh. Kind of a spoiler there in the... Oh, is it? Yeah, a bit. Um, well, what do you think you're going to get? Well, based on the picture as well, it looks like Kirk's an Old West teacher and Spock's a nun. <laughs> the computer could be a head teacher of a Catholic school. <laughs> or does it make people dress up and do little plays for it? <laughs> How does it keep its power? Does it have weapons or control the technology, maybe? Mm-hmm. I bet the fallen ship's captain will be behind the computer like the Wizard of Oz or that Tranya-pushing kid. Oh. And sometime, and somehow he thinks he's being benevolent. <laughs> Should there be a drinking game for every time I mention the Wizard of Oz? Uh, there'd be a lot of drunk people listening <laughs> to the show. Let's do it! <laughs> Captain's log, stardate 3156.2. While orbiting planet Beta 3, trying to find some trace of the starship Archon that disappeared here a hundred years ago, a search party consisting of two Enterprise officers were sent to the planet below. Mr. Sulu has returned, but in a highly agitated mental state. His condition requires I beam down with an additional search detail. You have just beamed into a conversation between Rachel and myself, Chris Lackey, on the topic of the original series episode, The Return of the Archons. And we're talking about it here on our podcast. Rachel watches Star Trek. <laughs> what was that? That's excitement. I'm excited about our episode. <laughs> oh. Hey, we've got a sponsor this week. Ooh. NowhereStreetwear.com. Yes, they're back. They're back. And not only do they have their wonderful t-shirts that we've already seen. Yeah, that you've almost got tattooed onto your body. Almost. But they've got a new shirt. Oh, at least one, Chris. At least one new shirt. And it is, get this. Go on. Star Trek themed. Oh, yeah. It's got the women, the hair. Yeah. The four women of the original series of Star Trek put on a very kind of iconic graphic Mm -hmm. style. It's totally cool. Get to NowhereStreetWear.com. Check it out. Yes. You will not be disappointed. Yes. And there's some more graphic ones as well for people who want to let the world know that they're not having a good day today. So shut up. That kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with Star Trek, though. No, 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 no. No, no. This There's is a just... blend of things out there. Yes. Yeah. They, it's a wide variety. Actually, I think that it could probably service all of your t-shirt needs. Well, yeah. Go the... get yourself serviced over at nowherestreetwear.com. <laughs> Go for the Star Trek women. Stay for the Chagran t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> The episode starts off with the planet Beta 3, where lieutenants Sulu and O'Neill have been sent to learn what became of the Archon, a starship that disappeared there 100 years earlier. It's a studio backlot, I guess, with 19th century buildings. Yeah, it was uh, shot on the 40 acres backlot over in Culver City. <laughs> you know, giving shout outs to the different backlots <laughs> locations. <laughs> Sulu and the other guy seem to be dressed in 18th century gear with long boots and lacy collars, kind of a highwayman vibe. They are approached very slowly by a hooded figure with a long stick, nice and slow like the gorn, <laughs> giving O'Neill a chance to leg it. Sulu stays put, trusting that he's going to be beamed up at any second, but unfortunately he gets zapped by the stick <gasps> and he goes all still just before he's beamed up. Sulu arrives in the transporter room to spread whatever havoc's just been zapped into him throughout the ship. <laughs> he looks all blissed out and dazed, telling Kirk that the planet is... Paradise, my friend. Paradise. 
He's got a real creepy vibe to him. Mm. Very uh, drugged out. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's high on marijuana. Oh. I don't know. Maybe it was a marijuana stick. It's fun to smoke marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> what Rachel was referencing there is a preacher was mm. playing... Uh, Another one bites the dust backwards. Yes, and it sounds like it's fun. <laughs> it's fun to smoke marijuana. It's fun to smoke marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty entertaining. Anyway, Kirk beams down with Spock McCoy, sociologist Lindstrom, and two guards, Leslie and Galloway. There are townspeople wandering around similar, kind of in their mental fugue, mm. like Sulu was, yeah. mindlessly contented, woodenly greeting everyone and giving their peace salute. A hand to the heart. The crew, like the people, are all wearing 19th century clothing with a Western feel. Now, earlier, Sulu yeah. was wearing an 18th century outfit. Yeah, don't understand why. That's one of the many things about this episode <laughs> that we will never really understand. Stay tuned for why. more. <laughs> Spock, however, is wearing a cape and a black head scarf. Mm. I thought that was going to pay off. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> But I liked it. Oh, yeah, it looks good. Yeah. A lady tells them to get rooms at her dad's hotel for after festival. Mm-hmm. Then the clock strikes the red hour and everyone immediately loses their shit. <laughs> Shouting, crying, dragging women around, of course, throwing rocks into windows. Kirk and the crew run for the hotel. Now, to me, this seemed like The Purge. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with The Purge, it's a movie where everyone is super nice all the time. But one day a year for 12 hours, nothing is illegal Ooh. except for killing politicians. <laughs> Why is that the only? Because the politicians don't want to get murdered on the festival mm-hmm. day, the purge. They of make course. the laws. Yeah. And they're the ones that enacted the purge. So, of right. course, they want to be exempt from that. Anyhow, during this purge, there's no emergency services. You, the idea is that you get all of the bad out of your system once a year. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is what's going on here. This is like a proto-purge. Yeah, okay. Happening. That makes sense. We'll see if <laughs> that actually comes to fruition in the mm. episode. The crew bursts into the hotel and they find these guys, Rieger, Hackam, and Tamar in the hotel. They ask questions about what's going on, and this seems to terrify Rieger. They are given rooms and retreat from the violence outside, trying their best to get a few hours worth of rest. They express some concern for the fact that the hotelier's daughter's out there in the melee, but he doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. No. So they give up as well. Yeah, they just kind of, well, all right, if you're not bothered, I guess we're not bothered. Mm. The festival ends at 6 a.m. when Rieger discovers that the landing party did not attend the festival. He concludes that they are not of the body. And he asks, are you the Archons? The conversation is interrupted by the arrival of Hackam and the lawgivers, the robed servants of Landru, who is the guy in charge. And they all give praise to Landru. And you said? I said, I wonder if Landru's last name is Eamon. (laughs) Landru Eamon? Landru Eamon. Hi, Landru. Landru Eamon is a... Andrew Andrew, Lehman. Forget it. It's so hard. (laughs) Andrew Lehman is a very talented voice actor that you can hear on my other podcast, Mm. HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. That's not all he is. And he's just a wonderful human being. Yes. Anyway, the lawgivers give the command to the landing party to accompany them to the absorption chambers. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. To be absorbed into the body. Kirk defies them, and the robed figures don't know what to do with that. While they stand there confused, Riga guides the crew to a place where they'll all be safe. Out on the street, all the people start to pick up rocks and sticks. 
Mm-hmm. as one almost mm-hmm. we hear they're being controlled by Landru through telepathy the phases on stun soon shut that down though they realize that one of the people that they've stunned is the missing lieutenant o'neill from the beginning of the episode mm. rieger warns that they should not bring him along Landru will be able to find us through him but kirk says he's one of my crew i ain't mm. leaving a man behind yeah so spock uses his tricorder to identify a source of immense power nearby rieger tells kirk that the arrival of the first archons many were killed and many more were absorbed Landru pulled their ship from the sky. How are all these people human is what I'm I'm wondering. Are they human? We've had a lot of human-esque planets. Yeah, but they look human. I mean, they look totally human. There's nothing alien about them. In fact, all of their clothing and buildings seems to be reminiscent of the early 20th, late 18th. (laughs) Somewhere in that 200 years. Early 19th century. (laughs) All just kind of mixed in together. Yeah, but Miri and her lot, they were um, human seeming. Well, the explanation of, of that was that it was some kind of parallel Earth, whereas their timeline grew exactly the mm. same except for they had this plague that hit in the 1960s and this right. was you know the the time after so uh, yeah i'm very confused by that yeah more questions than answers so far yes and forever and forever <laughs> <laughs> kirk calls the ship and uh-oh heat beams have been focused on it mm, according yes. to scotty yeah but what does that mean well i think it's a weapon of some kind mm-hmm. uh, it shoots hot beams lasers maybe yeah. of some kind and the ship's shields are able to protect it yeah but that's draining the ship's power right and the orbit is decaying yeah. so they've only got 12 hours to destruction right so if they take the shields down to put the energy into the engines they'll mm-hmm. get blown up by the lasers mm. so that's... and you said scotty should have called kirk and told him that earlier because kirk is the one that has to call him to say hey what's going on he goes oh, oh yeah by the way everything's going to <laughs> <shit."> <laughs> Then the teenager alarm goes on and everyone holds their ears and falls about. (laughs) (laughs) And again, the teenager alarm, this is something I've never encountered before, but we went to my wife, who is a young woman, but definitely not a teenager. (laughs) Nearly 40. Uh, We were out at Cliff Castle and there's this area where they have one of these sonic teenage whistle things. Or at least I think they do. (laughs) No one's ever told me they do. Well, I couldn't hear it, Mm. but the kids and you could hear it. Yeah, but they could hear it after I said I could hear it. So that's not exactly a blind test. But I've always been able to hear a squealing noise there that Mm -hmm. hurts and vibrates in my ears. I can't go through that tunnel. Yeah, I've never heard it. I've been in there and... uh, But anyway... I assume that's what it is anyway. Yes. So Kirk and the gang are getting these kind of sonic things. Again, they're not teenagers either. So it must be up to, you know... (laughs) Different frequencies. Different frequency. 40-year-old frequencies. Mm -hmm. They wake up in a dungeon. McCoy, Galloway, and O'Neill are missing. Kirk consults Spock in hope of understanding how the system works in order to escape. The lawgivers, the robed guys, they couldn't cope with his defiance because it was unexpected they conclude Mm -hmm. spock says that it's almost like a computer that was fed insufficient data Mm -hmm. mccoy and galloway glide in they've been absorbed and they're all pieced out Mm -hmm. they don't remember kirk and spock even hooded guys come in and request kirk next and i said to you jump them nick their robes and dress up as them to escape yeah but they don't no kirk defies them again but it doesn't work this time they've corrected the glitch yeah. oh well i guess the only other option is to go with them then hey <laughs> nice sets though yeah as they go to the absorption chamber i love the color palette of copper and copper oxide the futuristic style contrasts with the period buildings and costumes outside mm, yeah it does mm. kirk is taken into the absorption chamber and secured to a wall 
There must be a fair bit of bondage spurk out there. <laughs> I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure there is. A priest named Marplon enters the control box. Meanwhile, in the dungeon, Spock attempts to Vulcan mind meld with McCoy, but it doesn't work. The lawgivers summon Spock, who is taken to the same place, and sees Kirk now mindlessly happy. Spock learns that Marplon was Tamar's contact and is actually part of the same resistance movement as Rieger. Kirk is Faking it. He's not really a pawn of, of Landrew. <laughs> yes, that called that. <laughs> yeah. Did uh, you? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. Marplon gives them their phasers and communicators back. Spock is acting as instructed to be all of the Landrew social scene that's going on, I guess. And he makes his way back to the cell. He's what? Social scene? What? You know, the Landrew social scene. Everybody's doing it. They're being hip. They're all saying, you know, peace out, brother. All right. Okay. Landrew's good. He's pretending to be part of that scene. Yeah. Back in the cell, Kirk and Spock improvise as best they can with the only phrase they can remember, peace and tranquility be unto you, friend, or something. And <laughs> yes. they just keep going over and over that. Yep. McCoy buys it briefly, which allows them a little time to scheme in a corner. Mm -hmm. They decide that the society has no soul, no spark, and that Landrew's orders are being issued by a computer. Kirk decides the plug must be pulled. Yeah, Spock is concerned that this would violate the Prime Directive, mm. which is the first time that this is referenced in Star Trek. Ooh, was that exciting for you? It was exciting for me. Mm. Uh, I, I'm just going to, this is a, a wiki quote here of what the Prime Directive is. Uh, this conceptual law applies particularly to civilizations which are below a certain threshold of technological, scientific, and cultural development, preventing starship crews from using their superior technology to impose their own values or ideals on them. Hmm, that's not necessarily the case here then, is it? These guys seem to be ahead of them technologically. Well, yeah. Well, at least Landru is. I mean, mm. he's using some technology that they cannot figure out exactly how to work or how to counter. So yeah. I would say that, yeah, that this doesn't interfere with the Prime Directive. Huh, but the rest of the society don't have that access to that technology no. as far as we know. Yeah. Huh. But Kirk's defense of this is that he says that the directive applies only to living, growing cultures. Has now, he just decided to add that little caveat then? Well, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of debate over the Prime Directive, both in all of the shows. Mm. Like, it comes up a lot. Should we violate it? Should we not? Does it count? Is it there? Yeah. But also out of the show. You know, that's something the Trekkers love talking about on this episode. Did they really violate the Prime Directive? Was mm. it the right thing? You know, it's it's just good nerd fodder. Great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Nerd fodder. So McCoy hears this talk and he pops up in the background looking suspicious and they have to, you know, pretend again. They just do the same bit. When Rieger and Marplon join them, Kirk demands more information. Where is Landrew? Rieger shares that Beta 3 was at war and on the brink of destroying itself. Landrew, one of the leaders, took the people back to a simpler, more peaceful time. And this was 6,000 years ago. What? But he's still alive? Mm, 6,000 years ago, their civilization existed. At that advanced level. At that advanced level, sure, yeah. yeah. The hooded guys come in again, and Kirk and Spock finally jump them and nick their robes. <laughs> now disguised, Marplon takes them to the Hall of Audiences, where they immediately drop their disguises for some reason. <laughs> And a projection of Landrew appears on the wall. He says they are causing great harm and will have to be killed to cleanse the body. Kirk phases through the wall, a la Squire of Gothos, and reveals a computer. This was built and programmed by the real Landrew 6,000 years earlier before he died. This machine, now calling itself Landrew, was entrusted with the care of the body, which is the society of Beta 3. Kirk and Spock challenge Landrew with difficult questions. Answer the question. Order and tranquility are maintained. The body lives. But I reserve creativity to me. 
then the body dies. Creativity is necessary for the health of the body. This is impossible. Is this truly land? What's left of it after he built and programmed this machine 6,000 years ago? must create the good. That is the will of Landry, nothing else. But there is evil. Then the evil must be destroyed. That is the prime directive. And you are the evil. I think I live. You are the evil. The evil must be destroyed. Fulfill the prime directive. You, Andrew, help me. are the evil. Fulfill the prime directive. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. So this is one of four times that Kirk talks a computer to death. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Talks a computer to death. Yes, he gives them like illogical, you know, things that break their little computer robot brains and then they blow up or they Aww. smoke and stuff. So that is a tactic that Kirk uses a lot, I think is completely preposterous. But, <laughs> but it worked for him, so he keeps doing he it. He keeps doing it, yeah. What happened to the certainty of the incorrect computer? <laughs> yeah. She would have been fine against this interrogation. Yeah, she'd go, incorrect, you are wrong. Yeah. You, will, you will now be cleansed. <laughs> Done. So Kirk then tells everyone they'll have to find a new job and a new society and good luck with that. <laughs> oh, he so does. <laughs> Kirk calls up to check on the ship. It's fine now. The heat beam has stopped. How is Sulu, he wonders? Back to normal. Cue hilarious jaunty shrug from Sulu. <laughs> this made us belly laugh really hard because it just cuts to Sulu. He's like on the bridge kind of looking over the helmsman's shoulder yeah. and then they all look at him and he just kind of smiles and gives this cute little shrug. Yeah, like, what, what's I'm he a saying? scamp. Yeah, That's you know me. me. <laughs> oh, so everyone beams back up and Kirk leaves a team of specialists to help restore the planet's culture to a human form. Hmm. Whatever that means. What's their fate? Will they ever get picked up again? This crew? Mm. Then we have the usual finishing off banter between Spock and Kirk about logic. Marvelous. What? The late Landrew, Captain. Marvelous feat of engineering. A computer capable of directing the lives of millions of human beings. But only a machine, Mr. Spock. The original Landrew programmed it with all his knowledge, but he couldn't give it his wisdom, his compassion, his understanding, his soul, Mr. Spock. Predictably metaphysical. I prefer the concrete. The graspable, the provable. You'd make a splendid computer, Mr. Spock. That is very kind of you, Captain. How often mankind has wished for a world as peaceful and secure as the one Landrew provided. Yes. And we never got it. Just lucky, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> so he's saying uh, having a... A peaceful, unstruggling, unchallenged world is is kind of a dead world in a way. Mm-hmm. Completely dominated by someone else's view of what they need. Yeah. Without any soul, spark, autonomy. It's very interesting. I guess, I mean, we're getting into concepts right now. Concepts which is our first, it first is. Category. I was right about the computer thinking it was benevolent. Sure. It didn't make them do little plays, but it did dress them up in costumes and control how they acted. <laughs> I wish I wish it made them do plays. <laughs> That's about all I got right there. <laughs> Spock's headdress was a red herring. I know, so disappointing. Mm. I like the concept of a society with peace, contentment, but no soul, agency or creativity. Mm -hmm. Like an opium den, maybe? Yeah. It was very culty again. We're getting a fair bit of that. 
Yeah. It took me back to a girl at school who came back from a religious retreat and was pretty much like those guys. Oh, no, really? It freaked me out. She just had sparkly, kind of glazed over eyes, smiling from ear to ear all the time. What mm. happened? <laughs> In talking about opium and then religion, my dad would probably want me to mention that that quote, religion is the opium of the people, often used to deride religion as manipulative and numbing, mm -hmm. actually goes, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. Which actually puts a much more sweet, yeah, it makes it kinder. understanding, yeah, stance on it. Yeah, but it's still saying the same thing. What do you think it's saying? It's something that takes away your pain, your suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're having problems in your life, you've got that, and so it eases that burden, mm -hmm. which is something opium would do for pain. So yeah, but I, means that you're not actually doing anything about that suffering actively. Yes, perhaps. Yeah. But that quote is also suggesting religion provides a heart, a soul to life, a meaning perhaps, which is something that they were lacking in this world. Mm -hmm. I can see that. The computer and originally the man Landrew thought this was what they needed for a positive society in a future, mm. but it enslaved them and left most of them with no autonomy, no personality, just blandly nice. What was with the festival though? You know, nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> they never talk about it again on this episode or anywhere else for that matter. Huh. Fans have tried to figure this one out for years. Like, <laughs> what, what happened? Where, what, what was that supposed to be? Yeah. This whole episode, honestly, is a hot mess. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean it's a sexy mess? I've never understood what hot mess means. I think it's, Is yeah, it a sexy. more stinking mess because it's like stinking garbage? No, I think you're supposed... I think it's hot as attractive an attractive... mess. Yeah. Because, mm. I mean, I, I sort of enjoyed it still. Yeah, but it, it doesn't make a lick of sense. And there's mm. a lot of things that go on here that aren't explained, mm. that are just left, you know, like the festival. What yeah. the hell? What function did that serve in Landrew's concept of society? And, and nobody questions it in the episode. Nobody's mm. like, why did that happen? Just They're just like, okay, yeah, I guess that's what people are doing. Maybe that's the time where the computer kind of reboots or something. They should say that then. Yeah, it'd be quite good, wouldn't it? People have given reasons, mm. like ideas, that just like you did, but nobody knows for sure. Nobody that's knows. just speculation. <laughs> <laughs> How did the tech work on the planet? The mind control? The uh, hollow tubes that zapped people? In advanced technology beyond our understanding or the understanding of Starfleet, but mm. I guess easily disabled by talking to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand how pumping out the sonar could cause them to collapse, but... How did something get them to lift up rocks and sticks and throw them or control some, them in the way that it did? Some kind of telepathy. Yeah, it, it, it's all there. Uh, this episode is all over the place and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And you're right. There are some thoughtful ideas in this episode. So I'm giving it in its concepts rating a five. Yeah. But the execution of said ideas, I'm giving this a one. Ooh. That's right. My first one. Yikes. Bam. Ooh. It deserves it. Really? Just for not explaining the festival? For <laughs> for not explaining <laughs> lots of things. Poor I think that's harsh. I agree concepts rating a five, but I'll give it three for execution. <laughs> <laughs> Entertainment. 
I was a bit disappointed to be able to guess what the characters were going to do, such as Kirk faking being absorbed and then and them stealing the robes as disguises. Mm-hmm. I thought of that one ages before Kirk and Spock, and that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I liked a lot of it in theory anyway, but I did drift off a bit at times. Yeah. There was a lot to take in. I was happy for a break from McCoy bullying Spock, though. Yeah. yeah it only gonna... took a bit of mind control. <laughs> <laughs> he did throttle Kirk, though. Oh, yeah. There was a whole bit where he, like, strangles Kirk mm. and then Spock has to give him the old the Vulcan nerve pinch yeah good job McCoy carries syringes full of sedatives wherever <laughs> he goes though despite <laughs> having no bag <laughs> he had to do he had to use those twice in this episode yeah why not shame we missed out on what Sulu was up to on the ship while still absorbed did he follow the signal to pick up rocks oh yeah was Landrew's control could it extend outside of orbit mm-hmm. uh, interesting I, we don't know it was pretty entertaining but mostly because it was so bizarre so i give it a four yeah i'll give it a five. Ooh, look at you <laughs> being kind to it now aren't I? uh sexiness i loved spock's nonchalant wearing of the cape and headscarf <laughs> <laughs> i was glad to see kirk back in his uniform at the end though i like him in the form-fitting stuff Nice bum. Oh, yeah, yeah. So minus points for him not wearing it all episode. Right. But points back for making me realise how cute he is in his <laughs> uniform. <laughs> Uhura has a nice shiny new wig. Oh. Things looked a bit rapey in the festival. Yeah, they sure did. Overall, two. I have none of your points of, of sexiness. So um, this gets another one. Oh, yikes. Another one. Again, it's Ooh. happening. Because ah. this so far is the worst episode of Star Trek we've seen. In my opinion. Wow, really? What's worse? I don't know. I need to listen back to our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, this one. I don't think it was the most boring one. No, it was just bad. It, hmm. it just seemed like somebody, they were making it up as they went along. That's huh. how it felt. Like, it was just like, uh, what? You know, mm. the whole idea. The festival is this big part of the opening of the show. Yes. And it's just never brought up again. Mm. What? It's all crazy. I wasn't uh, a big fan of this you- one, so you got to give it some credit for having some proper sci-fi concepts. It does. Yeah, it has some sci-fi concepts with this computer controlling a civilization and having like a, a utopia in a way. Mm. Everybody would seem pretty happy all the time. So, yeah, that's cool. Mm. But execution, it was, it was not so hot. Next week, we are doing one of my favorite <laughs> episodes. Get ready to meet Khan. Oh, he looks scary when you say that. <laughs> because it is spacey. It is the introduction of Khan, one of the genetically engineered people from the past. Oh, gosh. I love this episode so much. Ooh. It is so good. Then he gets his own film. He eventually does. Yes. Yes. I, that's About a spoiler. being angry. Yeah. But it's his wrathful, one <laughs> yes, could say. Yes. Uh, but this is the lead into that film, uh, which takes place almost 20 years later, I think. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, yeah. Can't wait. Hopefully we get through this and we get to the films because Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, is probably my favorite Star Trek film. Probably. Well, I don't know. Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home is pretty great, too. Anyway. <laughs> Do you know what's my favorite Star Trek t-shirt? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a new one that Clyde's designed. What? Clyde is a sponsor again today of our episode, NowhereStreetWear.com. I love NowhereStreetWear.com. Well, you're going to love it even more now, Chris, because he's got some new designs. <gasps> it's about the girls of Star Trek. Yeah. Hello. Are we talking Uhura? We are. We're talking Chapel? Yeah. We're talk- yeah. Are we talking Rand? Yeah. Are we talking number one? Yeah, shout out to number yeah, one. Woo. <laughs> all the greats. Yeah, he's all got them. them in there. 
focus on their hair. Uh, it's I'm very excited about this shirt. I'm hoping to get one if that yeah. works out. And they're not just for girls, you know. I no don't way. want I don't want any of your anti-girl Ghostbusters style trolling <laughs> going on in response to this t-shirt being the first one that's coming out from Clyde. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not about that. These are that. the girls, the women of Star yep. Trek oh, and yeah. uh, they have helped shape generations. Yes, so get over there to nowherestreetwear.com. Check out the new designs. There are others as well. So, Chris, a friend of the show has something important that they're working on that I'd like to give a little shout out to. Right. Yes, I've uh, I've checked this out myself. This is called How, which is Home Care Our Way. And you can see them at how-now.org. Yeah, it's uh, to help people with disabilities. It's about uh, setting up a system that is fair to them and uh, to nurses and healthcare workers. And they're starting it up in California first. And they're proposing a system that will be empowering to the clients, the people with disabilities, Mm -hmm. and create a good service for them that's consistent, as well as creating a system that works for the nurses so that they don't burn out, so that they don't have to work multiple jobs. It seems like a a good organization and a good cause. Why don't you go check it out at hownow.org. How-now.org. Yeah, there's loads of ways that you could help the cause from tweeting about it, signing up on Facebook, volunteering to help, donating, contacting them to yeah. see how you could help. So check it out, how-now.org. I want to thank you, Rachel, for doing this show with me. I absolutely love it. I have a really good time doing it with you. Peace and tranquility, friend. This oh. is Rachel Watcher Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek!